Okay, let's get into the Word. James chapter 5, 1 Kings chapter 19 of our scriptures for this morning. James 5, 1 Kings chapter 19. How many understand that God is fun? Yeah, I know some of you are saying, well, I know I'm supposed to say that, but I really haven't found that. Uh, he actually is. Do you realize that when God created you and me, He could very easily have created us in such a way that we can see, but we just see black and white? Or that we can eat, but all we taste is just the same thing, no matter what it is. I mean, God could easily have created us in a way that we just eat gruel every single day. And we wouldn't have known any difference because that's the way we're created, right? But what does God do? Intentionally, He gives us taste buds. Intentionally, He creates millions of flavors. Intentionally, He creates beauty and color and, and just the whole kaleidoscope of things that we see when we have our vision. Well, in the same way, contrary to what many people have been led to believe, God created fun. God created joy. God actually wants you and me to enjoy our lives. It's not unspiritual to enjoy the world. God has made this world for us. The Scripture thinks He's created all things for us to enjoy. The problem is oftentimes we give ourselves to things that the devil promises will bring joy or will make us happy. We get involved in those pursuits and we find that oftentimes those things leave us unsatisfied or they even rob us with joy as they bring negative consequences into our life. And that's because Satan does not want you to enjoy anything. You see, again, contrary to what people believe, Satan is actually the great restrictor, not God. God is a fulfiller. God has created us to enjoy all that He has made for us and all that He has made us to be. You see, the real joy of being a child of God, the abundant life that Jesus talked about, again, it's not just a life that goes easy. It's not just a life that goes according to our plans or, again, just, you know, kind of keeps me saved till I get to heaven. The real joy is walking where Jesus walked when Jesus said, hey, I just speak the things I hear the Father saying. I do the things I see the Father's already involved in, and you get to part partner with that and see the Lord do some pretty amazing things. The Bible says in Nehemiah 8, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you see, that strength is based on two things. It's based on the fact that you know that you have been forgiven and the assurance that you actually have a relationship with God. There's peace between you and God. You have fellowship with Him, and you know that you bring joy to His heart. And also that joy comes with an awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And it's the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life that actually gives you the ability to finally live life to the fullest. Now, as I said, Satan does not want you to enjoy life. He does not want you to live in joy. Why? Because your joy is your superpower. It really is. The Bible says your joy is not just happiness. Your joy is a source of strength. You see, the problem with happiness is you're happy if you happy to make your ha happen to make your happenings happen the way you want them to happen. Then you're happy, okay? That's not the same as joy, because our happenings can change, right? But joy is something that is constant within us. It's a virtue. It's a presence of God within us who gives us strength. So in order to defeat you, what Satan must do, he has to try to take away your joy. And the way he tries to rob you of joy is by discouraging you. So you don't have fun anymore. You don't have joy anymore. In fact, the word discourage, as I'm sure you're aware, is just a compound word. It contains primarily the root of the word courage. And it also contains the negative prefix dis, 
D-I-S, discourage. What the prefix dis means, to, it means to take away. It means to remove. For example, when you encourage somebody, what are you doing? You are placing courage in them. By the words you speak, the affirmation, the hope, right? You know, you've been around someone who's encouraging. How do you feel when they leave? Man, I feel better. I just feel like I can take on the world. What have they done? They put courage in you. And in the same way, if a person is discouraged, it means that courage has been taken out of them, right? You're feeling good about yourself, but you meet somebody who says, oh, man, you'll never do that. Oh, yeah, I tried that. I I failed. No point, you know, whatever. They discourage you. And when they leave, you feel like, oh, man. I guess, I, who was I fooling? I guess I can't do anything. So encourage and discourage, obviously quite different. But that's what Satan does. Hear me, friends. Every word he speaks to you, every contact he has with you is for one purpose. It's to make you lose courage. Because the devil knows that you cannot be encouraged and joyful at the same time. And if he can discourage you, he can rob you from ever believing that you could actually do what God has stirred in your heart. Now, I know because I know human nature, because I'm a human too. I know that there's bound to be people here this morning that when you watched that video just a moment ago or heard me talk about this ministry, you're thinking, I could never do that. Don't raise your hands, but I know there's lots here. Oh, that's, that's not me. Oh, that's not my gift. Uh, that's not my personality. You see what's happening? Don't fool yourself. It's the enemy whispering into you to discourage you, to draw courage out of you. Because there's also part of you, your spirit, that part that communes with God, that looks at it and says, man, I wish I could do that. Man, I I wish I could experience that kind of thing. Wouldn't that be incredible to be used by God in some of those ways? You see, what's that? That's courage. That's the Holy Spirit encouraging you. That's why the Bible says, Peter says, listen, every single one of you have gifts from God. And together, we create this beautiful, just manifold presence of God, like this light shining through a prism. These multifaceted aspects of God's nature are seen in His body as every single person desires to know what their gift is and actually operates in that gift. You see, here at Glad Todd, we've been saying a lot over the last couple of years, we haven't talked about it recently, but here's the important thing. The important thing is not what gift you have. The important thing is not how your gift compares to somebody else or whether it's more dramatic or behind the scenes. That's not what's important. What is important and the one thing that we all share in common or we should share in common is that we have a common goal which is to situate ourselves in a place in our walk with the Lord that we need to depend on Him. That we're not just falling into a lifestyle, we're not just falling into trying to be good people and live right, but we actually say, Lord, as I move through the day, I want to see something in my life of your presence, something that's supernatural. And that might be very simply something like, and and a lot of us ignore this sometimes, but how many have had this happen where you just feel prompted to call somebody, right? But how many times do we either just forget about it, we haven't trained ourselves to act on it right away, and then what happens a day or two, we bump into that person and we realize, oh, after talking to them, I realize if I had just listened. That's just very simply learning to hear God's voice. And yet when you do listen to what the Lord is saying and you step out and do that, then what happens? You go, wow, Lord, that was neat. That was neat how in the conversation, I mean, I just felt you prompt me to call them. I called and they said, you won't believe 
when I'm just going through. You won't believe the timing that you just called me, whatever it may be. It may be something as simple as that or something more dramatic. I'm going to pick up my friend Pete here. I'm not going to ask him to talk, but, but um, my friend Pete was just saying at work, you know, talking to a co-worker who had, who had a really bad throat, a sore throat, and, and, uh, and very simply offered to pray with her. In fact, she knows that Pete's a Christian, and so she actually took his hand and said, pray with me, Pete. Pray for me. And so he did, and the Lord healed her. Just in the marketplace, just in the workplace. Why? Because Jesus wants people to know wherever they are, he's right there. He loves them. He's concerned for them. He wants them to know that he is alive, that he is real, and he is loving toward them. So the devil wants to discourage you. He wants to rob you of your joy. This morning, I want to look at a great man of God named Elijah who knew what it was to get discouraged. The Bible says, actually, of him in the book of James chapter 5, Elijah was as completely human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for the next three and a half years. Then he prayed again, this time that it would rain, and down it poured, and the grass turned green, and the gardens began to grow again. Now, Elijah was an ordinary man. He was just like you and me. But he experienced some pretty extraordinary things. Some superhuman things. Why? Because he believed in, walked with, knew, trusted in, obeyed a supernatural God. And yet, I want to remind us, he was as human as you and me. You see, we tend to think of someone like Elijah or some other person in the Old Testament. We look at, well, God did some incredible things, Moses, whoever it may be. And we tend to think that somehow they had an advantage over us. The truth is, we have an advantage over them. You see, Elijah walked with God. Elijah obeyed God. Elijah saw God do amazing things. He served his God. The difference is for you and me, that same God, unlike Elijah, lives in me now. Right? And everywhere I go, I take him with me. Literally, not only is he with me because he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time, but he, he comes wherever he is invited. He lives and moves and operates wherever he is welcome. And we need to remind ourselves that we carry the presence of God. We are the dwelling place of God today. That's something the Old Testament prophets didn't enjoy. They, it was a mystery to them. But that's why Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, listen, guys, you're impressed by the miracles you see me do, and you've seen some things happen yourselves. He said, you will do even greater things that I've done. You do the same miracles, but in greater measure, because instead of there just being one Jesus and 12 disciples, there are going to be millions of believers around the world in whom Jesus lives, and everywhere they go, they can do the same things Jesus did. So you're going to see even more things. So Elijah was just as human as we are, which means that he could be discouraged as well. Now, for those who aren't familiar with this story, I'll just give you a synopsis, but it's recorded in the first book of Kings in the Old Testament. In chapter 17 of 1 Kings, uh, Israel had been far from God. They'd even come to the place where no longer did they not only worship God, but they actually worshiped Satan. They worshiped a God named Baal. In fact, Baal worship is, is on the rise again in our own culture today. But they began to worship Baal, worship Baal. They had temples for Baal, for occultic worship, for satanic worship. They did the rituals. They did the children's sacrifice, all that kind of stuff that's also being done in our culture in different kinds of ways. They were so far from God. Elijah says to them, and he says to the king, there will be no rain upon this land until I say so. What's he doing? He's trying to create a desperation in the hearts of God's people to bring them back to him. There will be no rain until I say. And so the rain stopped. And with that, of course, there came drought. 
there came famine. We're talking three and a half years, right? You know what it's like for some of us, we get a hot month in July and our lawn is going brown and we think the end of the world is coming, right? That's just a month, okay? Multiply that by three and a half years over in the Middle East, in desert scenario, okay? You can imagine what it was like. Food, no famine, no water, all that kind of stuff. People are actually livid at Elijah. Uh, the king wants to kill him. The queen wants to kill him. So finally, after three and a half years, Elijah, I believe, by the Holy Spirit, discerned that the people of God are now ready to start hearing God. And so he issues a challenge. And he says to these priests and prophets of Baal, of Satan, listen, I want you to all gather with me on the top of Mount Carmel. We're going to build two altars. You build yours, I'll build mine. Put a sacrifice on top. And the God who answers with fire from heaven and consumes that will be the God that we know is the true God and the God that we will serve. Well, the Bible goes on to say, they gather that day, and the priests of Baal, confident that their God is going to reply, they're going around and they're calling on him and going through all the ritual, but nothing's happening. As time goes on, more and more time goes by, they start getting desperate. Because they're not hearing anything. They're not seeing any signs. People are starting to get antsy, like, hey, I thought you guys were, you know, the God that we're serving is the real God. I mean, there's 850 of you. There's only Elijah over here. What's going on? Have we given ourselves to the wrong God, even though they knew they had? And so all that time, nothing happens. Why? Because God basically said, Satan, shut up. This is my show right now. Can't do a thing. In fact, Elijah taunts the prophets of Baal. He says, where's your God? Right? Not to be crass, but we understand what he said, right? Where's your God? Is he sitting on the toilet? Where is he? That's, that's literally what he says. He's mocking them, okay? And then finally he says, okay, enough time has gone by. Your God's not going to answer. My turn. It's just, you know, starting sundown. My turn. And what does he do? Here's what the Bible says in chapter 18, verse 37. Elijah simply says, Lord, answer me so these people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately fire comes out of heaven, burns the sacrifice, consumes the wood, just dries up every piece of stone, totally disintegrates, licks up all the water around, and the people see that God is the true God of Israel. Now, when I read this story, I can't help but imagine that Elijah was having a lot of fun. He was having a lot of fun that day. And you know what? When you serve Jesus... When you actually say, Lord, you know, I'm kind of tired of just sitting back with a faith. I mean, I believe in you, but if I'm honest, I don't see you move through my life. And actually say, Lord, I want a living faith. I want a living faith. I want to touch people around me. I want you to flow through me in whatever gift you've given me, in whatever way it may be. I want to see you do things through me that I cannot do myself. And when you actually do that, and you see God arrange those divine appointments, and you listen to him, and you obey him, and you talk to somebody, and you sense the presence of God all over them, or you see the tears begin to flow, or you see bondages being broken, and you see lies being unveiled and truth breaking in their heart, when you see God restoring people and minds and relationships and bodies, there is nothing more fun. Do you believe me? There is nothing like it. There's nothing like walking away from that time and saying, oh God, you're amazing. I, you're amazing. I want to say, I don't know how you did that because really we don't know how you, we just know you did it. But it's kind of like, Lord, I don't know why you do it through someone like me, right? We just think we're ordinary people. That's all we are. Like Elijah, we're ordinary people who serve a supernatural God who lives within us and we carry him everywhere we go. That's his desire for us. So Elijah was having a great day, but then look what happened in 1 Kings 19, verse 1. When Ahab told Queen Jezebel what Elijah had done, Ahab was the king of Israel at that time, uh, Jezebel, of course, was his queen, and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal, 
She sent this message to Elijah. You killed my prophets, and now I swear by the gods that I'm going to kill you by this time tomorrow night. So Elijah, this great man of God, fled for his life, went to Beersheba, the city of Judah, and left his servant there. He's going on his own. Verse 4. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a broom bush and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, he told the Lord. Take away my life. I've got to die sometime. It might as well be now. Now hear me. When you are asking God to take your life, you're not having a good day. Okay? You have had better days. Elijah has this incredible day followed by this horrible day, and now he's discouraged. There's no one around to put courage back into him except God. And so God does some things to get Elijah back on track. Why? To enjoy life and also to return to being the man of God that God knows Elijah is. And friends, when you and I are discouraged, if you're here this morning, you can apply it right away. If you're not discouraged, you can tuck this away or maybe minister it to somebody else. But if you find yourself in that place where Elijah was, I want you to understand there are things that God wants to do when you are discouraged. And the first thing he wants to do, I believe, and I'm just sharing from my own experience, he wants to refresh you. He wants to refresh you when you are discouraged. Let's pick up the story in verse 5. Then Elijah lay down and slept beneath the broom bush. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him to get up and eat. He looked around and saw some bread baking on the stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down and said, and lay down rather again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank. And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. The first thing God does for Elijah is he refreshes him. Hear me. Even before God says a word to Elijah, even before Elijah speaks to God, God refreshes him. Now, this may not sound too spiritual, but I have found the reality is that sometimes when you can't hear from God, when you feel like you can't hear anything, when you feel like you can't feel anything, Sometimes it is simply because you are tired. You're just tired. You're spent for whatever reason it may be. Physically and emotionally, you are tired. And when, you're, are t when you are tired, most commonly, that is when discouraging thoughts begin to creep into your mind. That's when they begin to preoccupy your thoughts, and you just need to rest. Have you ever tried to reason with a cranky child? right? Doesn't happen. What do you do? You tell the child, go to your room and take a nap, right? Go lay down for a while or here's something to eat. You know, just calm down a little bit, get yourself together. And I really wonder sometimes when we say, God, I can't hear you. God, I, I can't feel you. God, I need to talk to you. If the Lord isn't saying, listen, what you need right now you just need to go lay down. You just need to take a nap. And ladies, this is for you. And when you get up, you need to eat some cake. Okay? That's all you need right now. Now, I know it doesn't sound super spiritual, but I can tell you, friends, I can be working, 
I can just even be doing things for the Lord, you know, just kind of going flat out or whatever. You get home, you're really tired at night. At the end of the week, you're really tired. And you can just feel, even though you've had some great victories and been busy doing things for the Lord, physically and emotionally, you get tired. That's why Jesus withdrew on a regular basis after doing ministry all day long. He didn't just hang with the disciples and shoot the breeze and go to bed late and, you know, back at it. What did he do? He separated himself. He went away just to rest. Just to rest, and oftentimes being rested, got up early the next day, ready to go while everybody else was sleeping. And in the same way for you and me, we need to know when it's time to rest. Another word that we use that we don't really think a lot about the meaning of is the word recreation, right? Recreation literally means to recreate, to recreate yourself. It is not a non-spiritual thing for us to be involved in recreation. Whatever way you find that you're able to just kind of get away, get away from the office, get away from the noise, get away from the family, whatever it may be. It may be a walk. It may be a trip down to the gym. It may be going fishing. It could be whatever it is. The Lord wants us to understand how important it is that we have time when we know that we need to get away and simply recreate. Now, if you're like me, whenever you do that, sometimes I have to battle with feelings of guilt right? Because, okay, well, I should be doing something more spiritual. You know, it's kind of like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. This is too temporal. This is maybe, maybe a waste of time. There's something else that I, that I could be doing. But we need to have time to get physically refreshed so that you can actually do what it is that God is calling you to do. Now, we know that our true rest comes from the Lord. We are spiritual beings at our core. We're refreshed in the presence of the Lord. That's what Augustine said. He said, my rest is in you, right? We, we understand that. But understand this as well, that Jesus comes wherever he is invited. So you can drive in the car for an hour and get to your destination, but you can also drive during that time and say, Jesus, I'm alone, just me and you. Let's talk, right? You, you invite him into that place, and what happens? He refreshes you during that time that you're with him. And again, that could be a walk on the trail, a trek in the woods, wherever it may be. But remember this, the Lord wants to refresh you. And if you're feeling in a rut, if you're feeling discouraged, I encourage you, maybe sometimes what you need is just to rest and allow the Lord to refresh. The second thing I believe God wants to do when you're discouraged is he wants you to understand that he wants to listen to you. What I mean by that is that he wants you to talk, to talk. Elijah is all alone in the cave when God comes to him, and he asks this in verse 9. What are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah answers in verse 10. I have worked very hard for the Lord, but the people of Israel have broken their, their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed your prophets, and only I am left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Now imagine this complaint. I know what you've done, but I, I need to hear from you. I want you to start talking about this. I want you to talk with me about this. Let's deal with this together. Let's see how we're going to get out of this situation. You see, all of us here this morning, whether you realize it or not, we all know what it is for God to talk to us. We all know what it is for God to come to us and ask us questions. Now, some of us, because we haven't learned to hear God's voice, though it's no great mystery, we just haven't ta taken time to develop our spiritual ear, but a lot of people would, would call it your conscience. Or they would call it maybe that, that voice of reason, right? Or some of us think, well, I'm just talking to myself, you know, but you're not. I mean, how many have had that happen, right? Wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you're sitting there, and if you can find some quiet, get away, you'll start to hear some questions. Now, you may think you're talking to yourself, but it may be questions like, well, why did I do that? Or why am I feeling this way? 
whatever it may be. You see, God the Holy Spirit is talking to you. What's he doing? If you listen to him, he's trying to draw you into conversation with him, and he wants you to talk. He wants you to learn how to sit before him to have a conversation and to work through some of those things that are going on in your mind or in your life, whatever it may be. Now, when you do talk to God, you need to understand something. It is perfectly okay for you to gripe to God. Now, I didn't say gripe at God or gripe about God. Okay, I mean, he still understands that. But it's okay to actually gripe at God. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And I remember for many years reading that and thinking, okay, then why am I asking him? You ever thought that, right? Because we read that scripture and we think, well, it almost seems like Jesus is saying, listen, when you go to talk to God, he already knows what's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking. So save your breath. You know, there's no point. You know, can you imagine? I mean, God has to hear all these millions of voices at a time, so he'd really like to, you know, cut some of that away. So he already knows what you want. That's not what Jesus is saying. I believe what Jesus is saying is this. You need to know that God knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows what you're thinking. What does that mean? It means when you come before God, you can be completely honest. You don't have to be politically correct. You don't have to find the right words and fashion it in a way that, you know, kind of sounds, you know, respectful or nice, whatever. No, you can come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know my heart. This is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. Jesus says, I want you to know you have freedom to be yourself and to understand that your father wants to talk with you. But he's going to ask you some questions he wants you to think about and talk about because together he wants to give you some answers that you can begin to use the ladder to get out of this hole and get back to being the man and woman of God that you are. And it doesn't mean the Lord can't uh, grow us and teach us things in those times. He definitely does, but he wants to move us toward a solution. Elijah says, I'm the only one left, and if that weren't bad enough, they're trying to kill me. And God reassures Elijah, you may be thinking that way, but it's not the case. And yet it's okay to gripe to God because he wants to hear your heart. You see, my friends, you are never going to defeat discouragement. You are never going to live in courage if you never tell God what's going on in your life. He already knows where you are. He wants to listen to you. He'll even start the conversation. But friends, we have to learn to talk to the Lord. We've talked a lot over the years about journaling. It's a wonderful discipline. You don't have to journal every single day, but a couple times, three times a week, there ought to be a time that you're sitting before the Lord. It could be for five minutes. It could be for an hour. And you're just saying, Lord, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? And trust him that he says, I want to talk to you. You can learn to hear my voice and just write down what comes to your mind. Write down what the Holy Spirit's laying on your heart. And when you have it there on paper, you can actually say, okay, Lord, now how are we going to tackle this together? How are we going to move forward? How are we going to grow? How are we going to break out of this place of discouragement? You see, discouragement is so subtle. Discouragement is not the same as, you know, manic depressiveness. It's not necessarily the same thing. I'm not a clinical psychologist to explain the difference. I don't know, but I can tell you this. Discouragement is so, so, so subtle. In other words, you can live your entire life discouraged and not realize it. Why? Because if you are not living your life in courage, you have been discouraged. Do you hear me? If you're not living your life in courage, you are presently discouraged. 
That's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God, the promises of God, the joy of God, the abundant life that Jesus talked about, it is available to every single person who knows Jesus. But it's only experienced by those who lay hold of it who lay hold of his promise, lay hold of his word, lay hold of the Lord, and say, Lord, I know I'm called for more than this. I'm gifted for more than this. You live in me. There's so much more you want to do in and through me. Lord, I know I don't have to stay here. I may understand what led up to this, but Lord, I am not captive to my past experiences. I'm not captive to the faults of somebody else. Lord, I want to live in courage. And there's a way the Lord will pour that courage into your heart. And that's the third thing I want to conclude with. He wants to refresh you. He wants to listen to you. And he wants to give you some friends. Elijah said in verse 14, I'm the only one left. God does something interesting. He doesn't even get caught up in that, in the conversation. I'm the only one, God. God says, yeah, okay, anyways, I'll get to that in a second. But in the meantime, listen, Elijah, I want you to go and anoint Jehu, the next king of Israel, and then I want you to go and find a man named Elisha and anoint him as the prophet who's going to uh, come after you. What's the Lord saying? Listen, Elijah, I know how you're feeling, but I'm working all around here. Your, your discouragement doesn't stop what I'm doing. Now, I'm going to get you back on track, get you back involved in what I'm doing, but you need to understand I'm working all around. I've got a plan well beyond you. This is all going to be coming together. And Elijah, you get a chance to get in on this. Then he says to Elijah in verse 18, I love the wording of this translation. He says, incidentally, Elijah, there are 7,000 other men who have not bowed to Baal. Isn't that kind of interesting? Here's Elijah saying, oh God, I'm the only one. And God says, okay, okay. Uh, first of all, here's what I want you to do. In fact, what I have found many times you're discouraged, the best thing you can do is say, Lord, use me. Yeah, Lord, use me. You know, because when we're discouraged, we're just so self-focused. And if we're willing to, the Lord will say, hey, come on, I'm doing some stuff. You want to get involved in this? And it's not long stepping out, not long getting back on track that all of a sudden, like, okay, Lord, I realize I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. And that's what he says. Hey, listen, I understand where you are. But you don't understand. You're not the only one. You're not the only one to go through this. You're going to go through it again some other time. Others have gone through it, but I am working. Okay, so let's deal with this. Let's talk about it. Let me refresh you. Let's get back on track to be the child of God that I know that you are. Elijah says, I'm the only one. And he says, no, the enemy's just got you thinking you're the only one. And listen, friends, this is so important. It's so important that we understand that we need to get together as the people of God. Whether it's a Sunday gathering like this, whether it's small groups throughout the week, it is so easy to become discouraged when you are by yourself. You need other believers to encourage you so you fulfill God's purpose for your life, so that you can actually have fun as a child of God. You can't do it alone. So the Lord refreshes Elijah. He listens to Elijah. Then he does something wonderful for Elijah. He gives Elijah an assistant named Elisha that would actually remain with him for the rest of his days. And friends, God wants to give you some new friends, some lifelong friends. Now, if you're married, I would encourage you God intends your spouse to be your best friend, to be that closest friend. But he also wants to give you other uh, men and women of God as your friends who will actually speak God's truth into your life. Now, this is very important. We all have friends at different levels. Uh, studies have shown, maybe different in personalities, but by and large, I've found this to be true. Studies have shown that the average person really can handle more than about a half dozen 
meaningful, deep relationships. I mean, pragmatically, we just don't have the time to cultivate all those relationships outside of our marriage, family, all that kind of stuff, work, everything else. Generally, about a half dozen people. So whoever those people may be, whether you have one or two or a half dozen, there are times when that close friend of yours will recognize there's something wrong, and they will initiate the conversation, say, hey, what's up? But there are also times, even more times, when people don't have any idea what you're going through, what's in your heart. You need to take the initiative and contact somebody, connect with somebody, and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm just really feeling down or I'm feeling tired, or discouraged, or afraid, or whatever it may be. I just need to tell someone. I'm so glad that I have a few people in my life that I can actually say that to. I can do that with. But hear me, friends. It's not because I'm a pastor. I don't have any advantage over you as a pastor. In fact, I'll tell you, most pastors are living the most lonely profession that you can live. I read a stat just this past week. Only 10% of those who actually begin their lives in pastoral ministry retire as a pastor. One in 10, 90% leave the ministry before retirement age. Now, one of the reasons I believe that I am going to make it to retirement, uh, I told the first service because I can't do anything else, but that's not altogether true. Okay, I can knit, I can sew, there's, there's things I can do. I'll go work in the market. I have to. But honestly, I really believe one of the reasons I'm going to make it to retirement is because I choose to be in relationship with other people. I choose not to hold people off, to push them away. I choose to humble myself and allow other people to minister to me, to speak into my life, to pour courage into me. The only reason I'm on this platform is so that you can see me. That's it. If I could just be down there on the floor and it was convenient, that's great. This platform means nothing, okay? Every single one of us are on the same level ground before Christ. Every single one of us are sons and daughters of God. We are called to use our gift to encourage one another, to spur each other on to good works, to be courageous. We're all called to be that way. I hope, for those who know me, that I'm no different on the platform than I am when I'm with them. Well, I am a little bit different. Yeah, I kind of horse around a bit more. But that's why my wife says, Paul, you can't joke on the platform. People don't realize you're joking. You've got to be more serious, right? But, uh, but there shouldn't be this, this contradiction, this hypocrisy shouldn't be there because we're all just trying to serve the Lord. We're all walking with the Lord through the same world and we're trying to honor him. We need to encourage one another because we can't do it alone. That's why Jesus said, don't go out by yourself. Go in groups of two, go in groups of more, but you need people around you. And hear me saying, if you attend church on Sunday morning and that's the only thing you do, you're going to get to heaven. But I promise you, as far as growth comes, you're only going to grow a little. You're not going to really grow all that much. But if you will get involved in smaller ministry settings, I promise you, you will grow a lot. So I really encourage you as we move into the fall, don't be overly busy, but I want to encourage you to get involved in some kind of setting where you're actually getting to know people, you're actually just speaking to their life, they can speak into your life, and you can be challenged to stretch and to grow. Even if you remain a Christian by yourself, I promise you, you won't grow on your own. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And the visualization I have when I read that is when you take two pieces of iron and you clash them together, what happens? Sparks begin to fly. And those sparks to me is a visual that when I come together with believers, 
then I begin to be stimulated by them. I begin to see things I wouldn't normally see as they talk to me, blind spots that I might have. I begin to see good things about myself that I don't really see, but they see, and I'm encouraged by that. You see, or I hear their stories, or I hear their frustrations, whatever it may be, and I just realize there's so much more, and I can grow in so many ways. That stimulation comes. But if you're not with other believers, you won't be stimulated. That's why I really encourage you, whether it's Love Says Go or other things we'll be doing in the fall, I encourage you at least to give it a try. Give yourself an opportunity to position yourself in some way to begin to grow in ways that you would not normally grow yourself. I can tell you stories of things I've seen the Lord do, and it's only because I was with somebody else through a course like this, and I said, you know what? I can't imagine it happening. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I won't get into the story, but one of my favorites is, is one of the seminars, and it's not going to be on this one, but uh, a couple years ago, where, um, where, they, where the speaker said, listen, I want to encourage you, the next time that you're, you're going somewhere, just bow your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you're going to see when you get there. Now, I would never have thought of that, and for some of you thinking it's nuts. But you know what I did? I said, yeah, I'll give that a shot. So I bowed my heart, and before I went to visit this particular person, the Lord showed me exactly what they're going to be wearing, where they're going to be seating, what's going to be going on. Now, being a man of faith, my first thought was, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I tried it anyway, you know. But imagine my surprise when I walk in the door and I see what the Lord has shown me. But it's not for me. It's for that person who's been sitting in a wheelchair for months with ALS and passing away. Their first question to me was, I don't believe God knows where I am. He's forgotten me. And I've been able to say, no, you know, before I came, I asked the Lord and he showed me. He wants you to know that he sees you. He sees you. Why did that happen? I'm no man of faith more than you are. But I allowed myself to be stretched, to humble myself and say, okay, Lord, I've never tried that. Maybe that's something you do. Obviously, some have done that, and that's what you do. I'm going to try it. That's just one simple example. So wherever you may be, put yourself in a position to grow. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. I want to wrap up here. I just want us to remember, the Lord wants us to have joy. He wants you to have joy. If you don't have joy in your walk with the Lord, it's because you don't have courage. The Lord wants to encourage you to move beyond where you are. And so when you need to think about defeating discouragement, remember these three things real quick. Number one, get refreshed. Sometimes it's only because you're just tired. So take a nap and don't forget, eat cake. It has to be cake, okay? It's biblical. Eat cake and recreate Okay, so when you go to Swiss Chalet today, say, I don't normally do it, but I just want a big piece of cake. Number two, talk with the Lord. Listen to the Lord when he asks you those questions. Understand when you're alone with your thoughts, it's not just your own rationale. God is talking to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants you to listen to him. If you journal, write it down. And then finally, get involved with some other people in the church or people who know the Lord. Make some new friends. But to do that, you must choose to humble yourself and get in relationship with people and never think that anybody is beyond being able to speak into your life. I don't, I've had children prophesy over me or speak something to my life. Even if it wasn't something that rang true, you know, at that moment, I still tuck it in my heart and say, Lord, thank you. You, you encourage to the, the lips of babes, whoever it may be. Never think you're too old, too seasoned in the Lord. In fact, you know, I believe one of the main reasons why the gifts of the Spirit don't flow in the body of Christ it's very simple because pastors think, I have to know everything for it to go, for it to work. Pastors think, 
You know, what if somebody gets used by God and shows me up? I pray every one of you will show me up. It's not that hard to begin with, okay? But I really pray you do, right? What did, what did, what did the, the Lord say about Moses and the elders? Moses saying, I, I wish you all prophesied. Man, I wish you all heard from God like me, because you, you can, right? But we come to the new covenant, and now we all can. We can all speak face to face with the Lord like Moses did, right? As a friend speaks to a brother. We can all move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you know what? We can all have fun serving Jesus. Wouldn't you love to get back to when your faith was actually fun? Now, I know some of you live there, but by the looks of you, some of you don't, right? I know you're just kind of, you know, your favorite scripture is grin and bear it. It's not in the Bible, by the way, in case you're wondering. But we almost think it is, right? No, you don't have to grin and bear it. I have come that you may have life and have life in all its fullness. I've come to give you joy and that your joy may be full and the way our joy is full. Amen. It's walking with Jesus and seeing him flow through our lives. So if you're discouraged this morning, I hope you're encouraged now. But tuck this in your heart. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.